Hey, this is Steve with Life Worth Living. Have you ever been around someone who's a contagious Christian? You get around them and their joy and their excitement for God just rubs off on you? They might be one of these kind of people that always has a Jesus story. You know, Jesus did this for me or Jesus did that for me. But here's a better question. How would you like to be one of those kind of people yourself? How would you like to be so full of the goodness of God that others are attracted to you and encouraged by you? Well, guess what? God wants to make you into that kind of person. He wants to make you into a fountain that every day spills over and refreshes others and encourages everyone around you. So listen in and discover how to be a contagious Christian that is a fountain of fresh water. talking about being a contagious Christian. Now, in a day when we're talking about contagiousness, that's not a very popular word right now, all right? Because what happens if I come in contact with somebody who has COVID, what happens? Most likely, almost instantly, I'm going to catch the virus as well because it's contagious. Well, did you know that your righteousness in Jesus Christ is contagious and even more so than the virus you come into contact with people and Jesus is in your life Jesus can't help but get into your life as well into their lives as well it just happens we want to be contagious Christians and we want to be contagious in the in the in the sense of a fountain of being a fountain of fresh water to people you walk around and you're just spilling out and exuding the life that Jesus has placed in you. Be a fountain for those around you that refreshes, that brings to life. And that's what we're going to be talking about is how to be a contagious Christian. All of this started several weeks ago when I began to ask Jesus, God, how can, be, how can I be a fisher of men? I want to be a fisherman. Remember the disciples, how they threw their nets in and Jesus came on board. They'd been working all night long and they and Jesus got on the boat. and He said, hey, guys, why don't you throw your net on the other side of the boat? And so Peter said, well, Jesus, just because you said it, I'll try it out. Threw his net on the other side. They brought in so much fish, their boat began to sink. And you know what Jesus said? Follow me and I'm going to make you fishers of men. The same way that you caught all those fish, I'm going to, I'm going to help you bring in the masses. You know what? I want to be a fisher of men. I want to be a fisher of men and I want all of us to be a fisher of men. I want you to look at Titus 2.10. Titus 2.10 and it reads, in, in different versions it reads differently. But listen to this, this, uh, this verse read in the English Standard Version. It says, and I'm just reading a snippet of it, okay? Titus 2.10 says, so that in everything they may adorn the, the doctrine of God, our Savior, that they may adorn. What does adorn mean? Have you ever adorned yourself before? All right, you put on, I, I don't put on earrings, but maybe you're a woman, you put on earrings, uh, you know, you, you put on your nicest shirt, you adorn yourself. Well, it says to adorn the doctrine of our God, uh, of God our Savior. Doctrine, by the way, is spiritual principles, spiritual teachings. Why do we come together here and on the phone today? We want to hear the word of God. 
We want to hear the doctrine, the teaching, the spiritual principles of Jesus Christ, of the Holy Spirit. But to adorn the teaching, what does that mean? Well, it means to beautify the teaching of Jesus, to make it beautiful, to arrange it in the right sequence. You know, isn't it interesting? Whenever you put the gospel in proper order, it makes sense. And, 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 and you start looking and you say, hey, that makes perfect sense. It's been ordered in a way that now I can understand it. That's making the gospel beautiful. I'll give, I'll give an example. This is making the gospel beautiful. Did you know that your righteousness that comes from God is free? You can't work up righteousness in yourself. So here's, how, here's the order of righteousness. God makes you righteous for free. Then you become a righteous person, and then you start doing righteous things. See, it's, we always get it, the, the cart before the horse. We say, you got to do this and not do that. No, no, no. That's not the first thing to come. First, Jesus makes you righteous. You become a righteous person, and then you start doing the right things that you were supposed to do. That's making the gospel beautiful. That's putting it in a proper order that, that it makes sense to us and can be applied to our lives. It's, it's making the gospel appealing, awesomely gorgeous. The Greek word for this, by the way, is the same root Greek word that comes that, that gives us the word cosmetics. As women put makeup on their faces, their original glow comes. Now, we as men, we don't have any, we're out of luck, all right? As we get older, we get uglier. But women have this beautiful thing called makeup. And when they put it on their faces, they're restored back to their beautiful original glow, right? <laughs> they're adorning themselves. Well, we, we adorn the gospel. We make it beautiful. We don't make it hard for people to come to know to Jesus. We make it simple. We make it attractive for people to come to know Jesus. That's what we want to do is make the gospel beautiful. We stop intellectualizing the Bible and we just live the Bible. That's what makes it beautiful. So we make it advantageous. We make it appealing. And that is what's going to make you a fisher of men. If you make the, the gospel religious, it's going to push people off. But if you make the gospel beneficial to people, people are going to say, hey, I want that. And you will become a fisher of men. You'll become a contagious Christian. Well, let's read on. Here's a couple of other items. And we talked about this several weeks ago. Philippians 2 Verses 14 through 15, it says, do everything without grumbling or arguing. Do everything without grumbling or, 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 or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky. That's another way to be a contagious Christian. Stop complaining and stop arguing and you will begin to shine. Now we talked about this, so I'm not going to rehash all of this, but that was, man, that was life changing for me. I found that I was complaining all the time and, and I found, my goodness, five, ten times a day I'm complaining about stuff. I stopped complaining in my head. I wasn't complaining to people. I was complaining to myself, complaining to God. I stopped complaining, and I've found that I'm starting to shine more. I'm starting to shine. I'm getting a lot of stuff done because instead of complaining about it, I'm just getting it done. And that makes a big difference in your life. But let's read on. In John 
Chapter 4, 13, verses 13 and 14, Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. You see, he was talking to a woman at a well. And Jesus had been traveling close to that part of the country, which was Samaria. And he encountered this woman and he said, she, he said to her, because um, he'd asked for a drink. He said, if you drink this water from this well, you're going to get thirsty again. But he said, whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become a spring of water welling up to eternal life. So... Jesus gives you water, you drink it, and you become a spring, a fountain of water, and you become a contagious Christian. What does it take for you to be a contagious Christian? Drink the water that Jesus gives you every morning. If he gives you something, just receive it. Just take it. Don't, you know, here's what happens. We get this prayer request in our mind. Maybe we need healing. Maybe we want somebody to get saved in our family. Maybe we need financial provision. And we get our finger towards God every morning. You say, God, give me what I'm asking you for. And God says, I'm going to. But let me give you something else this morning. Let me give you some peace this morning. You say, no, God, I want what I'm asking for. You know what? That's not how God, that's not how it works. Every morning you get up instead and you say, God, give me whatever you have planned for me. I'm not going to tell you what to give me. Just give me whatever you have in store for me. And God will give you hope and God will give you peace and God will give you life. And eventually he'll give you even the petitions of your heart. But when you wake up in the morning, just receive, receive, receive. Be a cup that just receives from God. Whatever he has in store, just take that. But this water that we're talking about, did you know that Kyle is also going to speak this morning? He's also going to talk. So he's going to tell you something. I'm going to take just one little piece of what he said last Sunday night. And I want to remind you of what it was. The water that Jesus said he'd offered them is the Holy Spirit. Think about it. The Holy Spirit's like water. He comes and cleanses our souls he comes and satisfies our thirst. He comes in like a flood and just protects us. The water that Jesus was saying to drink was the Holy Spirit. And we drink of the Holy Spirit by reading the word of God, by spending time with him, by walking with him, by talking to him, by listening to him. And so he's, Jesus said, if you'll just drink this water, drink the Holy Spirit, you yourself will become a fountain of contagious Christianity that will rub off on everybody that you come in touch with. So just receive from God. Stop demanding from God and start receiving from God. In Isaiah 58, 11, it says, The Lord will guide you always. He will satisfy your needs in a sun-scorched land and will strengthen your frame. You will be like a well-watered garden, like a spring whose waters never fail. Wow! That's for each and every one of us that's on the phone right now or that's, that's listening in, in person. God wants you to be a spring of living water. What does it take? Receive from God every morning. Receive and it'll spring up in you and be waters that will never fail. So what comes first? Does it come, do you want to bear fruit first or do you need to receive from Jesus first? You need to receive. 
Your first thing when you wake up, you're laying in bed, you wake up, you open your eyes. The first thought that should come into your mind is, Jesus, give me something this morning. I receive. It's not to to give. First thing in the morning is not to give. The first thing in the morning is to receive. If you receive, you will overflow. There was a pastor once, and I think I heard this from my parents. Uh, they, They asked him, I think, why do you always have to read your Bible and get close to God? And you know what his response was? He said, because I leak. <laughs> I leak. In other words, God fills me up, and over the course of the day, I leak, and I need to be refilled again. You know what? I don't totally agree with that. All right? I don't leak. I need to be overflowing and emptying myself. And throughout the day, what God gives me, I need to just go before I leak and just throw it out there all over everybody that I possibly can and come back the next morning and say, God, I'm empty. Fill me up again. I need to receive, receive, receive. Whoever drinks of this water, I give them. The water I give them will become in them a spring of water. Be a contagious Christian. Receive from the Lord and you will. Here's another idea of how you, can re- how you can become a contagious Christian. In John 7, verse 38, Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, streams of living water will flow from within him. Yeah. Woo! Did you hear that? Whoever believes in Jesus. Well, I'll tell you what. That word believe has gotten really, really watered down in our American language. I can ask people all over the place, do you believe in God? Oh, yeah, I believe in God. Absolutely, I believe in God. All right. But what are you doing about your beliefs? Well, I I just believe in God. That's not real belief. The word believe is a lot stronger than that. And I'll bring it. I'm going to say some things that's going to make you get angry. All right. This will show you what believing is. There's some people who believe in President Trump. They believe in him. They believe him so much, they'll put his, his banner in their yard. They'll wave a flag. There's other people who believe in President Obama. They believe in him. So much, they would support him. They would donate to his cause. They would vote for him. Now, I guarantee you in this crowd right here, you, I'm, I'm not here to talk politics. Do you get what I'm saying? I'm saying when you believe something, you'll talk about it, you'll live it, you'll support it, you'll give money to it. That's what it means to believe in Jesus. It elicits an emotion in you, an intensity in you. You're willing to do something because you believe in Jesus. Look at this. All right. If you believe in Jesus, you're going to be connected to him. You're going to be connected to him. And you're not just going to be a Christian on Sundays. You're going to be a Christian Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. You'll start all over again because you believe in Jesus. You are connected to him. You're confident in him. Think about it. Somebody who's confident in President Trump. And again, I'm not trying to make political talk here. Somebody who's confident in President Trump uh, or believes in him, they're going to be confident that he's going to do what he says he's going to do. All right. If you're confident in Nancy Pelosi, you believe that she's going to do what she says she's going to do because you believe in them. All right. We should be the same thing with Jesus. 
confident in Jesus. If you believe in Jesus, you're confident that he's going to take care of your financial needs. He's going to take care of your health needs. He's going to take care of your marital and family needs. He's going to take care. You're confident because you believe in him. You trust and you rely on him. You delight in him. You delight. If you believe in Jesus, you are going to enjoy Jesus. You're going to enjoy him. And it reminds me of Psalm 16 where it says, apart from you, I have no good thing. All right? Apart from you, I have no good thing. That's what it means to believe in Jesus. But let me, let me tell you, if you're really going to believe in Jesus, all right, you're going to do three things. You're going to do three things. And I've talked about these things before, and I will talk about them again because they're, they keep being refreshed to me over and over again. You're going to do three things. They're found in Proverbs 8.34. You're going to watch for Jesus, and I'm going to explain this in a second. You're going to listen to Jesus, and you're, you're going to wait for Jesus. You're going to do those three things. If you really believe, you're going to do these three things. Let me read to you Proverbs 8.34. It says, Blessed is the man who listens to me. Now we're talking about being a fountain. You know what a blessed person is? They receive blessing and then they just distribute blessing. You receive, you distribute. That's a blessed person. That's a fountain. I receive water from God and I pour it all over you. All right? And then you go out and you do the same thing. Blessed. What is a blessed person? The person who listens to me, watching daily at my gates and waiting at the posts of my door. Three things is what a believer does. And think about it politically as well. They watch President Trump or Obama. All right. They watch them. They listen to them and they will wait for them. <laughs> think about it. Same thing applies to our Lord Jesus Christ, who's the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. He's an authority over our country and over all the nations of the world, as the Bible speaks of many times over. But let's look at these three things. Listen. What, is it, what does it mean to listen to Jesus? It means minute by minute you're listening to the Holy Spirit. You're walking. You're working. You're doing whatever you need to do. And the Holy Spirit will prompt you. Have you ever felt a little push, a nudge by the Holy Spirit? Hey, go talk to so-and-so. Go help so-and-so. Go give a little bit of, you know, some your clothes or whatever. That's promptings. Have you ever felt the Holy Spirit hold you back before? You're about to do something. The Holy Spirit says, no, 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 don't do that. It's going to get you into trouble. Have you ever felt that before? That means you're listening to the Holy Spirit. If, in fact, you hold back when you're supposed to and move forward or speed up, slow down, listen to the Holy Spirit minute by minute. He'll redirect you. He'll direct you. He'll show you what you need to do. Number two, watch. Watch. What does it mean to watch for Jesus? I can't see him. What does it mean to watch for Jesus? We have a set of spiritual eyes. The Bible refers to it as the eyes of our heart. And Jesus said, fix your eyes on me. <laughs> fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of your faith. What does it mean to fix your eyes on Jesus? It means to pay attention to him. Be attentive. Be looking, expecting God to do something here, expecting God to do something there. I'm watching for you, Jesus, because I expect you to do something powerful today. That's watching for Jesus. Amen. And so there's this, uh, there's this billionaire that most a lot of people know. His name's Mark Cuban. He says, you know what? 
you know what's more important to me than money? Here's a wealthy, wealthy guy. You know, and he always says this, time is more, my time is more important than money. Well, I'll tell you, you know what's more important than time and money is your attention span with Jesus. It's your attention span with Jesus. You need to be able to live your life watching for the Lord Jesus Christ, paying attention, having your spiritual eyes open to see where he's going to move and expectantly doing so. Here's the third thing that I mentioned a believer does, a contagious Christian does, is they wait. (laughs) They wait. See, you listen throughout the day, all right? And let's say you have a hundred doors in front of you, a hundred doors and maybe you've, you're, you're looking for a job opportunity. You're looking for healing. You're looking for something in your life. And you have a hundred ways you can go. You listen to God. You say, God, which of these doors do you want me to, to go with? You listen. And the prompting of the Holy Spirit leads you to door 78 of those hundred doors. So what do you do? You've been watching. You've been listening. And now you watch. And you head over to door 78. And you say, God, here I am. What do you do after you've listened and watched? You wait. You come to that door and you wait for God to open that door. That's why the Bible says, go to a door, knock on it. And anytime you knock on the door, it will be open to you. What do you need to have done first, though? You need to have listened and watched to make sure that you're knocking on the right door. Then what you do, here's, here's what waiting entails. It entails a couple of things. You get your easy chair, okay? You don't get up to that door and pound on it and pound on it and pound on it and fall on your knees day and night and cry out to the Lord. You might do some of that, but at some point you need to pull out your, your lazy boy chair, all right, or rocking chair, whatever you feel more comfortable in. You sit down in your chair, You get your iced tea and you say, I'm standing here and I'm not going to move until that door opens. I'm not going to go down to row to door 65 or door 98. This is the door that I listened and watched for. God, you're going to open this and I'm just going to rest here in your presence until that door opens. Because God, you said not to pound on the door. You just said to just knock and I'm just going to knock on that door. I'm going to wait And that door is going to open for me. And as I wait, you know what? I'm standing firm here. I'm not going to be moving around. There's going to be times when I get intense. I get down on my knees and I pray to God, open this door, God. But most of the time, I'm just going to rest. I'm just going to rest. And I'm not going to be looking for another door until this door that you promise is going to open opens up for me. All right? these, These principles are spoken of in, in Exodus 14, 13. They're spoken of throughout the Bible, but I'll give you another scripture just for fun. Second Chronicles 20, 17. In Exodus 14, 13, here's Moses. He needs the Red Sea to open. God led him to door 78, and it was the Red Sea. <laughs> and he's got the Egyptian army bearing down on him. And what did Moses say in Exodus 14, 30? He said, don't be afraid. Stand firm and see the deliverance of your God. He said, don't, don't, don't worry. Rest on your easy chair. Here, sit down and rest. I'm going to part. God is going to part the sea for you. And you know what those Israelites did? They saw the waters parted for them. 
They saw the waters parted for they waited. We're talking about waiting here. Get to your door and wait there until you see the door open because God opened it. Or in Chronicles 20, 17, when Jehoshaphat, he had King Jehoshaphat had three armies whoa, mobilized against him. And the same exact direction instruction was given there. Stand firm. See the deliverance of the Lord your God and don't be discouraged. See, a lot of times we have, we think our faith is this tiny, little, sensitive, tender, little piece of whatever. It's faith. And you say, if, if I put my faith out there and God doesn't answer, it'll get crushed. So we take our faith and we hold it back and we're saying, oh God, I'm, I'm too scared to put my faith out there. The Bible says, stop being discouraged. Put the little faith you have out there. If I've told you when you were listening and watching that I was going to do something, I'm going to open that door for you. I'm going to open that door for you. So stop being discouraged. Stop hiding your faith. You will see the deliverance of the Lord your God. If you'll park out there. Now I'll tell you what. You may not see the deliverance of your God. If you say, I'm not sure if it's door 78. I'm going to go peek at 48 and 65 and number 3. And God opens the door and you're not sitting there. You're not going to walk through it. Stand firm where God has told you to stand firm. In rest. In rest. Believe that with all my heart. So how does this correlate to contagious Christian? A contagious Christian believes... And a believing Christian waits, listens, and watches. You want to be a contagious Christian? You do those three things. You'll be a believer, and God will make you into such a powerful fountain for him. You'll, be, you'll change thousands of people's lives, thousands of people's lives, a multitude. All right. So let me just mention this. We're not too far from being done here. Let me just mention this. I used to picture this. Here's me and my, my family. This is when they were, my kids were smaller. But I just pictured me and my wife with my tender little children. And we're outside the city of God. And we're at the gates of God. It says, blessed is the person who watches at the gate. So we're out there watching at the gates, waiting for the gates to open. And you know what recently came to me? I'm not outside of the city of God. I'm inside of the city of God. And I'm inside the city of God waiting for those gates to open, not so that I can get in, but so that the blessing of God can begin to flow out of the city of God. I want to watch for those gates to open up so that people can be healed, so that people can be saved, so that people can be delivered. And simultaneously, I want to see those gates open so that thousands of people can come in. Come in to the presence of God. Can you imagine if we opened those doors and people were lined up? We'd say, come in. Come into the house of God. We want you to know God. We want your life to be transformed. But what about the doors? The Bible also talks about us standing at the doorposts of the doors. Well, that's referring to the temple of God. I watch daily at the doorposts, the doors of God. That's the temple of God. Well, the Bible says that we're the temple of the Holy Spirit, you and me. There's a time to close the temple doors and have an intimate relationship with Jesus. You and him alone. The world's locked outside and it's just you and Jesus. Worshiping the Lord, loving the Lord, being refreshed by the Lord. But then it's time to open the temple doors and let all the blessing that God has given you begin to flow out. 
flow out. You as a temple, you're a mobile temple. You're going everywhere and you're letting the blessings of God that have been pent up inside of you come out. So we're standing at the doorpost waiting to be a blessing, but also waiting for that wonderful time, that closeness with God. And look at 1 Samuel 3, 3.15. Here was the little boy Samuel. He was in the temple and when it was morning, he went and opened the doors of the house of the Lord. Every morning after we've had our time with the Lord, it's time to open the doors of the temple and bless as many people as we possibly can. Song of Solomon. Kyle, I'm almost ready for you if you want to come on up. Song of Solomon 4.15 says, You will be a garden spring. You will be a garden spring, a well-flowing uh, uh, a well of flowing water streaming down to Lebanon. Man, open your hearts and let the goodness of God flow out of you. Be a contagious Christian. Now, on Sunday night, Kyle spoke on uh, a vision that Ezekiel had, and he's going to share this with us. I asked him to because it goes hand in hand with what we talked about Sunday night. So I'm going to turn it over to Kyle here. Hi there. <laughs> so I was reading in Ezekiel 47, and that chapter just struck me as so interesting because previously I read Ezekiel, and it seemed kind of strange to me. It just, you know, it was different. But when I was reading it, it was so descriptive when I was reading it. It just seemed so real. Like you, It felt like you were walking with Ezekiel through these visions. But as I was reading it, I started picturizing the angel walking me through the temple, you know, and you're seeing this room and I'll read it from here. It says in Ezekiel 4, 14, the man brought me back to the entrance to the temple and I saw water coming out from under the threshold of the temple toward the east for the temple faced east. And you think of the temple and the water pouring out from it. It's kind of like the spirit of God pouring out. It's coming out more and more, but at the very beginning, it's a trickle. You know, when you first become a Christian, it's just a trickle. But as Ezekiel went further and further with the angel, he went deeper and deeper. The water grew higher and higher until it was so much so that it was covering his head. And the verse that kind of goes along with God's spirit being water is John 4.14. I think my dad may have read it, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. That one's just such a cool verse. And to think the person that he was telling that to was actually a woman who was, had multiple husbands. <laughs> and he was telling that to her and giving her hope. And he was saying that anyone, anyone who receives my spirit can become someone so full of God that it will just well up from them and start feeding others. And this, this is really cool. So in Ezekiel 47, 6 through 8. So Ezekiel was in the water, now he comes out. And as he's coming out, he sees all these trees. And so I'll read it from there. Then he led me back to the bank of the river. When I arrived there, I saw a great number of trees on each side of the river. He said to me, this water flows toward the eastern region and goes down into Araba, where it enters the Dead Sea. When it empties into the sea, the salty water there becomes fresh. How cool is that? Just to think of God's spirit going towards the Araba. And that's actually the Jordan Valley. Now, the Jordan Valley actually has the saltiest 
body of water on the planet. It's the Jordan. It's not the Jordan. What is it called? The Dead Sea. Yeah. <laughs> it's so salty that if you laid in it, your body would just naturally float. And there's videos on YouTube about it. But it's cool to think that out of all the stories and uh, all the places in the Bible that God's water flowed to, it kind of goes to the saltiest place on the earth, the place that there's most grit and kind of grime. And God is saying that when I start pouring out my spirit, I start looking for the hardest, most, the people that are the hopeless kind, the people that no one says they can be saved. My spirit is going out towards them. And so let me read from Ezekiel 47, eight through 10. When it empties into the sea, the salty water there becomes fresh. Swarms of living creatures will live wherever the river flows. There will be large numbers of fish because the water flows there and makes the salt water fresh. So where the river flows, everything will live. Fishermen will stand along the shore from Engedi to En Eglam. There will be places for spreading nets. The fish will be of many kinds, like the fish of the Mediterranean Sea. And it's just so cool. There's this verse that I keep on thinking about, and it's in Isaiah. It says, "For I, um, he who created you, Israel, he who formed you, Jacob, I, uh, do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name. You are mine. And I didn't quote it perfectly, but just to think that God is saying the same thing to these people who are in these regions, that, may, that the world is written off. He's saying, you're mine. You are becoming fresh. You're going to become the light of the world because my spirit is coming towards you. It says the salty places of the earth, the dead seas, and I already said that. So, and then what's really cool, it's not just these few, you know, here and there individuals. It's saying swarms of people. When God's spirit comes pouring out in revival, it's going to be so many people that we won't know what to do. You know what I mean? And it says also that they'll be hungry. It's, there's, there's just going to come pouring out, seeking God, wanting more and more of him, which just blows me away. And this is the cool part for people who are already saved. It's not going to be hard for us to get people saved either. It says right here that the fishermen will stand along the shore from Engedi to Engiglam. There will be places for spreading nets. There will be specific places that God says, just throw it out. Just throw out those seeds and let them grow. And people will get saved by the droves. That just blesses me so much. And then also from... uh. The fish of many kinds. That blessed me a lot, too. Because I think a lot of times we picture there's only certain people, you know what I mean? Or certain nations. It says fish of many kind. And also, it says in Arabic places, which a lot of, I think a lot of times Christians think Arabs, there's, you know, God has the Israelites and the Arabs. But it says on both sides of the river, there are trees being planted. So God is calling people from all nations and all places to get saved, which just is amazing. Um, let's see here. But the most, one of the most important questions you could ask is the because. Why does this happen? You know, you can think, well, the Bible says it. Well, there has to be, you have to understand the why. And the verse right here that blessed me and that answered this question is verse 9 in it. It says, because this water flows there and makes the salt water fresh. So it's God's spirit. It's not anything that we can do. It's not anything that we say or, or push. We have to be seeking God and preparing ourselves. So when the spirit is poured out, it happens. It comes like this verse says in here, which is, oh, it's so cool. Um, and the way we start preparing ourselves is like how my dad was saying. We have to start asking the spirit to carry us. We have to seek him constantly in our set aside devotional time. 
We have to surrender our purpose in life and your image and self to him. So what you picture yourself as being, if you're, if you're an executive, work at the soup kitchen. <laughs> you know what I mean? You have to start seeing yourself as God sees you, as just a child of God. You have no um, status that is above someone or below someone. You're just a child of God. And so when you see someone that you might think, oh, they're below me, <laughs> all you won't see that. You'll just see them as someone who's equal to you because you're both covered by the same blood. Amen. So... Um, I'd like to pray because the only way that you can enjoy this revival is if you're saved. That's the only way that you can do it. So I'm just going to pray real quick. Dear God, thank you for everything that you've given us, dear God. Thank you so, so much, dear Jesus, for all that you've done, dear God, all that you're doing, dear God. We know that the time is coming soon, dear God, where revival is going to start happening, dear Jesus. We know that you're going to pour yourself mightily, dear God. Um, as your verse says in Revelations uh, 22, uh, 12 through 17, it says, look, I am coming soon. My reward is with me. I will give to each person according to what they have done. I am the alpha and the omega, the first and the last, the beginning and end. Blessed are those who wash their robes that they may have the right to the tree of life and may go through the gates into the city. Outside are the dogs, those who practice magic arts, the sexually immoral, the murderers, the idolaters, everyone who loves the practices of falsehood. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to give you this testimony for the churches. I am the root, the offspring of David and the bright morning star. The spirit and the bride say, come. Let, and let the one who hears say, come. Let the one who is thirsty come. And let the one who wishes to take the free gift of the water of life. Dear God, we just ask you, anyone who's here, dear God, that's not serving you right now, if they want to know you, dear God, all they have to say is, Jesus, come into my heart. Wash me cleanse me. Be the Lord and Savior of my life. I want to partake in this life, dear God, that you have for me. Just give them that heart, dear God, for you, this thirst for you, dear Jesus. Because you're pouring out your spirit, just like in, in Acts 2.33 says, that you're pouring it out more and more, dear God. Pour it out right now on that person, dear God, and all people who are not saved, dear God, so that they can be saved and enjoy this revival. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Praise God. That's in Ezekiel 47, and I'll finish just by saying this. How do you be a contagious Christian? How, do you, uh, how can you be a fisher of men? Be a fountain. And we've studied this morning how to be a fountain. And I'll just end with this. In Ezekiel 47, part of the story there is just a trickle, and Kyle alluded to it. Just a trickle was coming out of the threshold of the, of the temple, and the angel or whoever was directing Ezekiel said, here, walk 1,700 feet, which is about a third of a mile. He walked 700, uh, a third of a mile, and the water was ankle deep, just from the trickle. Then he walked another third of a mile, and it came up to, I believe, his knees or his waist, then up to his neck, and then it was so deep and so wide you couldn't even get from one side to the other. If you will just be a trickle of a fountain the impact will be un, unfathomable. You won't be able to count it all. Praise God. So just, if, if anything, be a trickle 
be a trickle of a fountain and God's going to multiply your efforts like you wouldn't even begin to believe it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you, God, for your word, Lord Jesus, spoken to us today. Lord, that we receive today. God, help us. If we're going to be fountains, we've got to be receivers from all on high. And stop demanding things from God and say, God, whatever you have for me today, I will take. I drink your water today. Heavenly Father, we got to be believers. We got to be believers. We got to be of those who watch, wait, and listen, Heavenly Father. Hallelujah, Jesus. Believers, believers will become a fountain, Lord Jesus, an unstoppable force in this world, Heavenly Father. We've got to make the gospel appealing and stop throwing religion into the mix and say, no, Jesus is the way. He's the truth. He's the life. He's beneficial to you. Don't you want to be loved by Jesus? Lord, we've got to make the gospel appealing, Heavenly Father, the way that it already is and stop throwing so many restrictions into it and say, this is the, this is, this is the truth. Walk in it. Jesus is the way. Follow him. Thank you, Heavenly Father. So make us fountains, we pray, in the name of Jesus, Lord. And for anybody right now, if you're listening, and you would like to give your heart to Jesus Christ right now, just open your heart to him. Say, Jesus, come into my life. Realize that that being a Christian is not a prayer. It's a decision. It's a decision. You say, I want to be a believer in Jesus. I want to watch I want to wait. I want to listen to him. I want the benefits of Christianity. I want the advantages of Christianity. Just open your heart right now to him. Ask him to come into your life. The Bible says once he comes into your life, he will stay there. He will eat with you. He will fellowship with you. So open your heart to Jesus right now. Take that opportunity. We thank you, Heavenly Father, for it.